Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, you learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo, which always needs challenging, but today we might be joining a status quo. I don't really know, uh, because uh, we're going to be talking about Mark Driscoll's recent statements uh, regarding free will. And of course, Mark Driscoll is a popular one for a lot of people to jump on and hate, so I don't know if we're challenging the status quo or joining it, uh, but there is a weird status quo when it comes to free will terminology, so I guess we are challenging it in one way or another. But uh, you guys might notice this is not the original office uh, or studio that we worked in before. Uh, like many of you guys have watched our Big Life announcement video, uh, you can watch that on the channel. But basically, I have moved, so Brian and I are no longer working in the same studio. We're working in separate studios. So now we are doing individual segments, and we're also doing together segments. And we're going to have our first together segment actually tonight. I'm pretty sure we're breaking some sort of YouTube rules by trying to do another live stream twice in one day. So who knows? We might destroy the algorithm and realize that everyone secretly hates us, but this is what you get. So anyway, so for those of you guys, who are actually interested in this conversation on how this works. Um, by the way, feel free to put in your chats uh, if you'd like and uh, make any comments you'd like. I'll comment on them as I get a chance as we go. But I don't want to waste too much time. Of course, like, subscribe, support us on Patreon, and do all the other internet stuff that you guys already know about. If you don't know how to do that, I can't help you uh, at this point or and at this juncture. So anyway, recently I was scrolling through my YouTube feed and I found that Leighton Flowers was Soteriology 101 uh, posted this thing where it's like, you know, Mark Driscoll says basically that free will is demonic. And I was like, what? So I clicked it because it's good clickbait. And I did that. And I was like, there is no way somebody actually said that. And sure enough, he did. Uh, and so I went to find the video where I said it. So these, this is a recent statement by Mark Driscoll. Now, for those of you guys who are not familiar with Mark Driscoll's ministry, uh, is he, he's, if we can use the term ministry, uh, there's been a big uh, uproar uh, against him actually due to the Mars Hill podcast where exposed a lot of his, uh, or at least discuss a lot of his leadership techniques and uh, uh, the ways the way he acted and many people accuse him of abuse and all these things i don't want to comment too much on all of that brian and i uh, brian i think listened to the whole thing and um i listened to parts of it and i i was very mixed on it one part i was like yep this sounds like you know he's definitely this way and i definitely don't think he's got a good leadership style but i also did notice some things in uh the podcast itself were a little bit biased itself so um that's what you do you eat meat spit out bones that's what you do uh, whenever you're listening to anything, hopefully even when you listen to us. So, uh, but regardless, uh, he does not have the best reputation of being the most uh, solid of leaders and play of leaders. What's funny too is that once in a while I'll listen to something he says and go, wow, that was actually pretty, pretty solid. And then I'll hear another thing he says. I'm like, that was so way off. And this is one of those super way off things. So we're going to just jump into it. We're going to watch this uh, clip in, it, uh, in its entirety. I'm going to go and comment at, uh, through, but uh, yeah. This is literally what he says. So let's take Mark Driscoll's word for it, okay? All righty. Now, the reason why we struggle with this concept of foreknowledge is because we are brainwashed with two four-letter words. Free will. There is no such thing. I would go so far as to say it's a demonic deception. Our will is not free. And see, because we're in a Western democracy and we like to vote, we're like, well, everybody should vote. My question is, how's that going? 
All right, first, before we go much further, I do want to make sure I comment on this. He goes, so the reason why we have a hard time with this idea of foreknowledge and free will is because we are brainwashed with the idea of free will. This actually goes into the problem that I have said for a very long time, that people really actually have really struggle with this concept because they confuse knowledge with causation. So knowledge is not causal. That is the first thing to note. So the reason we struggle with this is not because we've been brainwashed with this idea of free will, nor is it because it's a demonic deception, which is the most crazy thing I think I've heard in a while. Uh, and that's saying something, but the, um, did I the, really, the question is that I always come up with whenever I, I see somebody talking about free will in such a way, which is, uh, okay, great. So you th you're telling me my free will is wrong. So are you asking me to choose not to believe in free will anymore? Because that's essentially what it is, right? And that, that's kind of the whole thing where it's like, you first have to get me to deny my entire lived reality in order to deny that I have free will whatsoever. But on top of that, you kind of have to convince someone that they don't have free will, which also causes a problem, right? Because it kind of lends itself into this idea of free will already. So many of us struggle with the idea that for, uh, with foreknowledge be lumped together with knowledge and causation. I do want to talk about this real quick a little bit. Um, so Brian, what are you saying? Put YouTube in theater mode? I don't, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, okay, all right. Is that better, Brian? Okay, hold on. I have technical difficulties. Does that make you feel better, Brian? Sorry, I have my co-host yelling at me in, in, in uh, in the comments. So, all right. <laughs> all right, cool. Learning curves, baby. I no longer have Brian here to keep me on task before I do before I go live. Now he gets to see all my disasters without any edits. So, that's good. But all right, so let's talk about this real quick as far as um knowledge and causation. So, knowledge is not causal. One of the big things that I always point out and we all inherently know this, but people have this hard time believing that God can know all things yet sin takes place and then how can God call himself good? But if you understand that knowledge does not cause, then you don't have a problem. For example, my daughter is almost three years old. If I take a piece of chocolate, put it in front of her, take a piece of broccoli, put it in front of her, I know, I can foreknow with almost absolute certainty that she will pick the chocolate. Does not mean that it foregoes her choice, does not mean that I have forced her to choose otherwise, that I know for a fact that she has chosen or that she will choose to get chocolate. So that knowledge does not equal causation. God has perfect knowledge, of course, but again, just like he did with David uh, at seal, uh, um, with David when he's like, hey, if I stay here, will they kill me? And God goes, yes. So what does he do? He leaves. Therefore, that moment of him being killed, these his enemies coming to kill him did not take place. Uh, so anyway, um, so, and when I'm talking about free will, I want to make sure I am very clear on this. Um, free will, it, I'm using this term colloquially. I've, I know that it's a loaded term. So when we're using the term free will, uh, we're talking about basically there's different ways to define it. You could say the ability to do otherwise, the ability to choose between two range of uh, two actual options, the freedom of better or worse response. There's a lot of ways you can say this, but the point is, is that you have true freedom to make 
decisions and follow through on those decisions, okay? So, uh, and the, this is why a lot of people in my camp will use the term libertarian free will, because libertarian free will is a society that your will is not being coerced or forced upon, okay? That's what they're meaning when they, nowadays, when people say libertarian free will. Now, if you get into philosophical studies, that term has different ranges within it itself, but for the sake of this conversation, we'll just use it in that sense. However, uh, there is this other version that Brian uh, has very, in a very based way, stopped basically using the term libertarian freedom and just starts using the term freedom because uh, just to make the, make the reformed person actually be the one who has to make the category distinction for us. So the other version of free will is what we call compatibilistic freedom, which I think is what Driscoll's trying to articulate, but I could be wrong. He could be straight determinist, but either way, compatibilist or determinist, I think they're basically one and the same, just defined differently. Um, so anyway, with that said, compatibilist, compatibilistic free will um, basically says that uh, I believe we have, they seem to believe that this means that God could determine all things and that we have true, genuine freedom, but that's not true. So what they mean, when so when a lot of people say compatibilism, they just don't understand what compatibilism is. So a lot of people are like, well, I believe God's in control of all things, but we have actually free actual freedom. I think God's sovereignty and control over all things is compatible with our free will. I just don't know how, so therefore I'm a compatibilist. That is not what compatibilism is saying. What compatibilism is saying is that we actually act on our greatest desires, and because we are sinful by nature, we will always act on that sin, okay? So really, it, what it is is that God created all things, knowing what will happen, but not just that, but decreeing, which is a royal command, commanding that it'll all take place, and so therefore that all things that come to pass are by the will of God, okay? Once you have that and like loaded in the chamber, all things take place by the will of God. It's really hard to move out of the problem of evil, right? But then you add on top of that the compatibilist thing, which is like, well, yeah, but you're still, it's your wanting that's broken. It's your wanter that's broken. So your greatest desire is what you're always going to act on. So you're truly free because you're freely choosing. You are doing what you want to do, but uh, you're still determined because that's the way that your wanter is designed. Now, you'll notice that that does not mean that your free will is compatible. It just means that you're pre-wired to make certain decisions. So that is kind of what he's actually getting at here. Um, so the and uh, Adam Van Gorp, you made a great point here. It says, because the ordinary definition of free will include, uh, includes the libertarian component. Exactly. That, that free will or true freedom uh, includes this idea of non-coercion. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have influences. And that's one of the things that people bring up all the time. And it's like, well, you're going to tell me that you're not, you not have influences? Yeah, I have influences. But like, for example, ever since I moved to Indiana, I've started uh, Jonathan Pritch's like workout program. And I have wanted to consume more than 2,000 calories a day, right? I've wanted to not work out certain days, but I've been doing all these different things. Why? Because I, despite my influences to consume all the potato chips, I am actively choosing not to, okay? And as, as much as it, it absolutely kills me. So, um, and it's funny, uh, 3D Christianity, you said, if hard determinism is true, then nothing in the universe really matters. I agree with you. We're actually going to talk about that as we go forward. So if hard determinism is true, then nothing in the universe really matters, and it is actually nihilism. And that's why I still think compatibilism is just determinism with lipstick, because where 
hard determinism would just bite the bullet and say God determines everyone's wants and desires and actions. Compatibilism says that God does those things, yes, but it's our wanter that's broken, and they, they redefine free will to acting out on what you want to do, which of course is not what anyone would define uh, free will as. So anyway, I know that was a long tangent, but I feel like it was worth it. Uh, we definitely kind of have to address some of those things. But all right, let's continue on and listen to more drivel. <laughs> I'd be fine if only Jesus got to vote from here on out. That would be totally fine with me. Let me give you just sort of five perspectives on this myth of free will. Number one, we are responsible for the choices we make. We do make choices and we are responsible for them. Number two. Hold on. So this right here should tell you exactly the problem, right? Well, the myth of free will, we make choices but we are responsible for them. Well, how can I be responsible for them if I cannot do otherwise, right? If I cannot choose between uh, varying options of you know better or worse response, if I cannot commit to any other way, then how can I make a decision that I'm responsible for? There is actually no responsibility. I, I, I know Leighton Flowers has even said this before, but responsive, responsible really mean, liter literally means response able right? So I'm able to respond differently. Uh, so that in and of itself makes zero sense. But to call it a demonic deception, I forgot to mention this earlier. But what's funny about when ever like a determinist or a free will denier comes into the chat, and they start speaking this sort of thing, what they don't realize is that they are actually like saying then that the entire early church had demonic deception over it on its view of man, because like, there was, you know, I was Irenaeus, I want to say it's Irenaeus. I, it's Irenaeus or Athanasius, but I'm pretty sure it's Irenaeus said that basically that we cannot say that mankind sins by nature, but by the freedom of their own will. And he basically says, if anyone says otherwise, they are a false teacher. And it's Irenaeus, now that I'm thinking about it. It's Irenaeus because he's talking about this and against heresies. He's responding to Gnostics. So that should tell you something there uh, on which side to maybe not side with, just a thought. But uh um, let's see, Adam, you're making another good point here. Nothing but Calvinistic doublespeak. We are not responsible, merely culpable for the actions that we were, that were determined for us. Exactly. And this is one of the things that, uh, you will find. So I say this all the time too, and I know I get heat for it, but it's true that the, like we, I was on Trinity radio recently talking about fundamentalism again and how the independent fundamental Baptists have this really weird wooden view of things. There's a lot of doublespeak and it causes a lot of confusion amongst its followers because they will say they affirm one thing while denying it the next, and then it turns into this this co confusing circle of contradiction. The same thing happens in the reform crowd. When you start pressing on free will, they will shift it, and then once you start pushing on the sovereignty, they shift it back. And you can't get a straight answer. It's like trying to uh, nail nail jello to a wall in many ways. And it's because if you accept that God, that logic does not apply to God, which is what Augustine basically said that uh, in these in this in the area of um, the problem of evil. If he says that, well, if you have that belief that God can just do whatever he wants and that logic doesn't have to apply to him, then you don't need consistent theology. Uh, and then you wonder why people get really confused and say that Christianity is much of nonsense. And then you get things like TikTok atheism, which is just the cringiest thing in the world that I've been responding to lately on TikTok because I can't help myself. Actually, that's the story for uh, real quick. So Braxton Hunter uh, does a lot of like TikTok responses to TikTok atheists. And I was like, dude, where do you find these people? He just go to TikTok and just type in why I'm not a Christian anymore. I did that. 
and it was a mistake. Don't do that. It'll just make you stay up all night wanting to do responses to every single one of them because they're really, really bad. But anyway, all right, tangent over with. We are going to move forward. Our choices reflect our heart or nature. Jesus says out of the overflow of the heart comes lust or words or spending. That the decisions we make are a reflection of the heart or nature that we have. So he says a good tree bears good fruit, bad tree bears bad fruit. Ezekiel says that before the Holy Spirit enters, we have a heart of stone and it is God, not us, who takes out this heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Oh, but is that what it says, Mr. Driscoll? Because it is funny where you get the proof texting people who want to just pull one text out of a book without looking at the overall part of the book. So let's unpack that claim, shall we? Because of course he's talking about natures and he says we're responsible for the choices we make. We make choices and we're responsible for them. As we discussed, it's impossibly responsible for something if you cannot do otherwise. We will see how this doesn't work though more We'll see how this doesn't work even further in a minute. But the overflow of the heart comes, you know, he says things like lust. It shows the heart, right? Because, uh, you know, a good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit. There, And, of course, this is the paradigm he's creating. He's setting up this um, concept, this ideal of that if you are born evil and sinful, you are born evil and sinful, and therefore you can only bear bad fruit. If you are uh, regenerated and saved, then you will bear good fruit, and therefore God must regenerate you. So, um, okay, sorry, Brian is telling me that we're, we got to do some bandwidth tests because I might be having some stuttering issues here. So if that's happening, I apologize. But um, all right, so the overflow of the heart comes lust, as he says, because it shows the heart. But yes, it does. Of course, Sin comes from the heart, right? We are we are we're part of a nature and a we're part of a nature, not no nature. We have an inclination towards sin, and we are part of a world that has an inclination towards sin. There's a corruption of sin, so we all, of course, sin. And of course, lust comes from the heart, right? But also, what does people like this do when they see atheists and unbelievers do that which is good? Of course, they'll just be like, "Well, it's because we're image bearers of God. It's laws written on our hearts." Okay, great, but is that good fruit or bad fruit? So this false dichotomy of like, it's just one or the other period, it, and thus to set up their systematic actually does not hold up just under basic scrutiny. I say all the time, like, if your theology does not apply to reality, I have no reason to accept your theology. Your theology should reflect reality. And said that um, those who believe and are following God, of course, that's a good, tr- good fruit. And those who are unbelievers, that's bad fruit. But we also have the knowledge of good and evil, okay? Both stem from us. So, because we're creating God's image, so we, have, we are both good and evil. Um, but because we sin once, we are guilty of all, right? So, anyway. Uh, all right. Ezekiel 18.31. This is what I wanted to get at. He said, well, Ezekiel says that God, the Holy Spirit enters, and he's the one who does this exchange. So, he does it, right? So, in other words, you, your free will is not a part of this. Your free will is to surrender your life to God, to put your faith and trust in him. That's not your choice, Right? That's a choice God makes. That's what he's saying. However, that Ezekiel passage, they always seem to skip over Ezekiel 18.31. And Ezekiel 18.31 says this, rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? 
and he puts the onus on them and says, you need to get yourself a new heart. And the reason why you can say that you need to get yourself a new heart and God needs to get you a new heart is because whether people want to admit it or not, there is a synergistic work amongst between God and man. Man and God works synergistically. And I'm tired of pretending that we don't. <laughs> um, everyone, because uh, it's the really the reform camp has turned it into this monergistic, everything has to be monergistic or else it's heresy. Uh, and no one's saying that God doesn't do all the saving, but if I don't surrender to God, then there's no point in it, right? There, I, I'm not going to be saved, I should say. Okay. Uh, because I haven't surrendered myself. And save me if I don't give myself over to his ways. So anyway, uh, the problem with, and so here, that, this is the problem whenever you're quoting things like Ezekiel or any other ancient Near Eastern prophets is that you, and if you don't understand their worldview or writing, um, you might risk committing serious theological blunders, right? So these prophets weren't always speaking in complete literalistic terms. We see that all the time. They use hyperbole. They use poet, poet, poetic imagery. They, we, they use all sorts of things to convey a meaning here. God doesn't actually take a literal heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We have hearts of flesh. It's an image of you are hardened, and if you surrender yourself to God, you will be restored. He will heal you. God is a God of healing. So um, that is important to make note. Your old nature can't and won't choose Jesus, he also says here in a minute. And we'll unpack that because that also doesn't really work. But God gives us a new heart of compassion Okay, sure, but he acted favorably toward us, then he heals us. That's the point here, right? He heals you. So anyway, uh, we will move forward and look at this even more. Hold on. And so ultimately, until you get a new nature, you cannot make God-glorifying decisions. And some people say, well, I, I, I chose Jesus. Your old nature can't, won't choose Jesus. Number, number three. We don't need to hear number three. <laughs> it's painful enough. He says your old nature can't and won't choose Jesus. So here goes into that thing again of it can't, right? So let's get back into what we were talking about before. If it can't choose Jesus, if then how can I be damned, right? I can't do it. He said it himself. It is an inability. Mark Driscoll, the, his personification of God is looking at a child in a wheelchair and saying, if you don't get up and run this five-part this five part marathon, I'm going to burn you in hell. That's this version of God. Well, he, the, the, is that fair? No, but, but the, the, the child in the wheelchair, its very nature, his, his or her very nature can't get up, right? So if you can't, then why should anyone punish you for not being able to do that which you're unable to do if you cannot do otherwise it's is actually what we would say like morally heinous right so we would never do that that's never how we would operate in this world and even in the torah or other parts we see god and christ clearly laying out things like hey i'm going to hold you responsible for things that you have control over but if I, my old nature can't respond to god at all and his gospel can't actually light the darkness of my heart without him first gifting me the gift of faith and grace, then there's no point, right? Then there's, there's no point in this universe whatsoever. So, but it's funny when he says that your old nature can't and won't find Jesus. And I have yet to see, uh, and I'm sure there's a commentary somewhere, and I'm sure I'll get a Calvinist or a Reformed person in the, in the comment section uh, commenting their thoughts. 
but I've yet to see a convincing or good breakdown um, in Acts 17. Because you say that old nature can't and won't choose Jesus. Meanwhile, it seems like general revelation alone is enough to get someone to seek after God with their old nature, by the way. Acts 17, 26 says, and he made for uh, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. And they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we were we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the uh, by the art and imagination of man. Did you catch that? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him. We talk about all the people with all the different boundaries that are set up, that they, sh that they might seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him. That's why God did this. That sounds like to me in your old nature, whether you know heard the gospel or not, you can find God. Then this would actually flow quite nicely with Romans 2, 14 and 15, that the secrets of men will be judged. So, um, by, so judged by Jesus Christ, and they will either accuse him or excuse him. You get the idea. So the whole point here is that, again, the, the, the proof texts are, are things like in Corinthians and stuff, right? Which is like, well, God is, you know, Satan has blinded, the God of this world has blinded the people. Um, as if to say like, and what's funny is that no one uses like the Calvinist language. No one uses Calvinist language in their day-to-day -day life, right? You can't live with your theology, theology consistently because if your theology is true and all things are determined and I can't and won't do otherwise, then you, you would never be able to live your life that consistently, right? So, Keep that in mind as you go forward and as he complains about people who are deceived, according to him, this deceit was already just predetermined, right? They don't have, they cannot choose to do otherwise. So, um, but yeah, this is, uh, oh, hey, Kyle Hart says, I'm a bit late, but rather be late than miss entirely, uh, than miss entirely. Good seeing you folks who are trying to aim at consistent worldviews. Hey man, thanks. I I'm trying. All right. So anyway, this whole idea is just, it's nonsensical. It doesn't really flow, uh, but it is going to talk about Adam and Eve. And I got things to say about Adam and Eve. So uh, let's, let's get into that. Adam and Eve alone had free will. They didn't have a sin nature and they had a perfect relationship with God. And they're in a perfect environment. Things that we don't have. We're not perfect people in a perfect place in a perfect relationship. God is perfect, but everything else because of us is not. Adam and Eve were free because they didn't have a sin nature to choose God or not choose God. We, however, have inherited a sin nature. Okay, before he gets into talking about inheriting a sin nature, because I want to break that down a little bit too. But when he's talking about Adam and Eve, this is what's funny. So Adam and Eve, according to Driscoll and many other uh, of our Reformed brothers and sisters, says things like, well, they, could, they actually had free choice because they didn't have a sin nature, so they could actually choose right or wrong. But I want you to notice how this creates a contradiction in their own theology once again. Adam and Eve didn't have a sin nature, he said, so they had true, genuine choice. So on this view, it's the nature, not free will really, that makes someone sin, right? So it's the sin nature that makes us sin. 
then the question is, how did Adam and, Adam and Eve even sin then, right? If they were completely perfect, only having a holy nature, then by this logic, they shouldn't be able to sin, right? If a sin nature forces you to sin and you cannot do otherwise, then if you don't have a sin nature, you would never have to fall into sin because you have a perfect nature. So if you have a perfect nature, your inclination should only be to desire that which is perfect. If it's a sin nature, then your inclination should be only to do that which is evil. But here it's like they want the cake and eat it too. Well, sin nature makes you want to sin, but because they have a perfect nature, they can choose to sin. It doesn't really follow. But this goes into the um, the entire the entire thing here. I okay, so here's the question uh, when it comes to the problem of good and evil. Could God have prevented Adam and Eve from sinning, right? So the Calvinists would say, of course he could. He's all powerful. He could do whatever he wants. Therefore, he decrees all things from the foundations of the earth, from before the foundations of the earth, all things from eternity past are determined by God. Okay, cool. So he could have, he just chose not to as part of his secret will. His secret will um, is what decreed also the, the that he desired mankind to sin or to fall. And it was for his own secret will, his own glory, blah, 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 blah. Now, the thing is, is, I actually will, I believe that God has to have a logically, uh, God is actually bound by the laws of logic because I believe that he is the logos. So I believe like the logic of our universe actually flows from his nature. I, I, that's, that's my belief here. Okay. So if the laws of logic flow from him, then therefore he cannot violate the law of non-contradiction, which is also, I believe that God says that he, is, he cannot lie because he is truth. And therefore, if he is truth and he lied, he would become a lie. Therefore, he would violate the law of non-contradiction. So, um, so the, the thing is here, if God created mankind with a particular purpose, and that's the important part, if he created mankind with a particular purpose, then which is like to maybe be free and have true genuine relationships and make true genuinely uh, genuine moral decisions, if that was his creative purpose, then he absolutely could not have stopped them from sinning. Why? Because he said, you are free to eat of any tree of the garden, but the one there you should not eat of. But he gave him the choice. If God suddenly stopped Adam from sinning, he becomes a liar. So if he sent an army of monkeys to consume the apples from this tree, they're not apples, I'm sure. I'm just get with the analogy here. He becomes a liar because he was really wasn't free in the first place, right? So uh, he's like, no, no. It's like, it's like telling your kid that, hey, yeah, you can go outside and play anywhere you want. And right when your kid goes outside, you're like, actually only the yard, the fenced in yard. Right, like you're like, well, you said I could play anywhere, right? Um, so anyway, that that's that's kind of my take on that. I don't think that you can consistently have God give people freedom and then suddenly take it away. That that actually resolves a lot of the issues that people have with the Epicurean paradox and other things. But that's a discussion probably for another time. But essentially, to go back to Driscoll's point, if sin nature equals that we can't not sin and can't choose God, then a perfect nature should mean that we can't sin and can only choose God. You see the problem? It's true in one sense, but it's not true in the other sense. So they're saying that what's true for one category isn't true for the other one, causing more and more doublespeak, as Adam uh, so kindly pointed out in the chat. So, um, all right, let's move. Articulated this in Romans 5, 12 through 21. As a result, our will is not free. It's bound by sin and nature. 
Okay, he, then he says, of course, the reason why you have a sin nature is he goes to Romans chapter 5, right? But at, uh, Romans chapter 5 doesn't exactly say what he thinks he says. And before I jump into that, I want to uh, mention what Brian says here. Sorry, uh, Warren, <laughs> clicked the wrong one. Adam and Eve, he says, are the only ones free and chose Satan. The rest of mankind isn't free and millions choose God. <laughs> uh, cheeky, I love it. All right, okay. So Romans chapter 5. This is like the uh, sin nature, guilt nature, inherited nature proof text that is used all the time. However, it doesn't follow. Uh, Brian and I have addressed this many times on the program, but it always comes up, so I feel like I should address it every single time until people stop using it as a proof text, which will never happen, so you're going to hear this a lot. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So first, let's stop here. What does it say that passed on to all men? Is it sin? No. Read it again. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. So, okay, so this is when sin enters, okay? Sin enters the world. So this is the idea of corruption or some sort of presence, right? But sin enters the world through one man, so that's Adam, and death through sin. So what comes from the sin that enters the world? Death. Death enters this world. And so death spread to all men. So what spreads to all men? Is it a sin nature? No. It is not this inherited guilt. It is death. Sin corrupts the world. And the world destroys God's uh, God's like original purpose, which is life, because God is life. And now we all die, right? And it says because all have sinned, right? And if you get into the Greek, there it's basically because all commit sin, or we're in a nature that's inclined to sin. It doesn't say guilt, okay? So that's a that's a whole thing. But anyway, um, but the point is here is that is because we sin that death reigns on because sin is in the world. It is not saying that we are born sinful and evil with our hearts against God and that we can't and won't choose God, okay? Because Acts 17 already addresses that. For sin, indeed, he says, was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. What, so this actually gets into it even further, where, where, which is where Brian and I have that idea of that you are not held accountable for sins that you do not know, Right? If you're not held responsible, because right there, like sin is not counted where there's no law. And before the law, there was sin, but it wasn't counted. How could it be counted when there was no law, right? There's just pure unadulterated madness, essentially. Uh, you have the Cain and Abel, then you have the Nephilim narrative. You have all these different narratives that are taking place. And basically, the knowledge of good and evil has made mankind incline themselves totally toward evil. And then God hits the reset button with the flood, okay? So... Now, this is why it, the Romans 5 cannot be about inherited natures from birth, okay? So, most Christians reject the idea of universalism, okay? That everyone is going to heaven, that God's saving everyone. Now, I know that there are actually, there are actually, like, Christian uh, uh, universalists uh, today, and I'm not knocking one or the other, but I'm just saying most people ignore this. But if that, if this is talking about inherited natures from birth, then when you fast forward to verse 18, it says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. So if this means from birth, for all men would mean all men in both senses, right? 
Condemnation led to all men through one man. So all is sin and evil and going to hell. Therefore, justification to all men came by one man. Therefore, so if it's all true for Jesus and his work, all men, then it must be true for all of Adam's work, Jesus, all men, uh, I, the sin and all men. Does that make sense? So you can't, that was probably very poorly worded. Um, so therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so if all of Adam's sin led to everyone's condemnation, then so also would all of Christ's work lead for justification for all men, all without exception. Because if that's what we're taking, that we're born this way without exception, then also this same terminology as parallel being drawn here would lead to universalism. He says, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Well, then uh, whatever point of this out, some people will say, yeah, but it said is many will be made righteous. Not actually saying all, he's saying many. And I'm like, yeah, but it still applies here. So does that mean only many, <laughs> not all were made sinners? Like how, how, again, where's your consistency here? So now the law came in to increase the trespass. Why does the law increase trespass? Because it creates more awareness of sin, but it also shows God's desire for good and what his will is for that which is good. But where sin increased, grace abounded the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. Therefore, because of sin, our choices are bound. Our will is bound. Right? That's what he says. Because of sin, our choices are bound, our will is bound. But that is not really what Romans 5 is saying. It never says anything about that. If you actually get with the parallel, read all of Romans 5, and you'll notice it's actually drawn a parallel. It says, because in Romans uh, 6, he later on, he goes, for the wages of sin is death. And many people think this means like the punishment of sin is death. Therefore, if all die, you if anyone dies, that is because you're guilty of sin. But really the wages, this idea of a payment, the cost of sin, what sin pays out is death. And you get back into Romans 5 and he goes, hey, death came by one man, but there's justification through one man. Just And he's drawing a parallel of the two ways of life. You have the way of death and the way of life. The way of death is the way of sin, but the way of life is the way of Christ. And if you follow Christ, you will receive life. He is the son of God and God is life. So repent from sin, which corrupts this world, and turn to life. Because the only thing that sin will pay out is death. That's the point of Romans 5 and 6. So many people miss that little aspect here, okay? So moving on. Therefore, because in his mind, because of sin, our choices are bound. Our will is bound. Choice is a faculty of the intellect, though. Like, this is another thing to keep in mind. Like, your choices are a faculty of your intellect. You know, you can, you, you know, you, you think, and then you choose to make a choice, right? But sometimes you might not have the will to follow through. Doesn't mean you weren't free to jump, right? Let's say, so let's say you were at a pool and you want to jump on the diving board and your brain, your intellect realizes that, hey, there's a diving board there. I want to jump off the diving board. And instead of staying in the water, you choose to get up and go up to the diving board. You're made a choice, right, with your intellect. However, once you got up there, you're scared of heights and you didn't have the will to follow through. Does that mean you were not free to jump? No, of course you were. You just didn't have the will to do so. So a lot of people also misunderstand some of these categories, but uh, I'm just the, using free will colloquially here. But he says that sin binds you and you cannot choose. So let's let's look at this even further, okay? Hang with me, folks. Number four, our choices are limited by God. You're not free. You're not free to determine the day of your birth. You're not free to cure your sickness. You're not free to ultimately rule over your life, and you're not free to decide whether you go to heaven or hell. Whoa. 
<laughs> All right. So you're not free to choose how tall you are. You're not free to choose when you're born. I want you to notice something here. This is a blatant category shift. When people, so remember when I said that in libertarian freedom, there is uh, different versions of it in philosophy. One version of libertarian freedom is like what we would call like hard libertarian freedom or true libertarian freedom, which is the idea that I'm, I can freely do that, which I, whatever I want to do. So if I want to be able to physically, physically jump to the moon, I can jump, I can super jump all the way to the moon. Okay. No one, when they say libertarian free will nowadays is talking about that. Okay. So just get with the language. But this is a major category shift he is saying here because he goes from, he goes into equivocation, false equivocation everywhere. The infamous, the infamous categorical shift that always takes place when you're discussing uh, theology with Calvinists, okay? They will say, uh, they will be like, well, God says we're dead in sin. Can a dead dog raise himself back to life? Brian, actually, uh, you know, the co-host with us here, he actually mentions this all the time that he, being raised reformed, they use this dead dog analogy all the time, and it never made sense because they're, they are comparing physical death with spiritual death, which is a problem because they're not the same thing, right? But they're saying, well, can a dead dog raise itself up? Well, no. Well, then somebody outside has to choose to bring him up. And in your sin, you're dead. You're like the dead dog. So now we're equivocating physical death with spiritual death. But in this area, he's equivocating, equivocating the innate parts of our nature, right? Height, geography, date of our birth, those things, to our ability to reason and choose and follow through. These are different categories. No one with free will in the free will theology is saying that I can choose not to be six foot tall with brown hair, blue eyes, and devilishly handsome. <laughs> no, no one, no one is saying that, right? I cannot choose to change my eye color except with contacts or something or tattooing, which I don't recommend, um, right? So he is wrong here, and he's using a, a false equivocation to make people follow through with him. And the fact that people actually are just like, yeah, this sounds right, just tells you that either these people don't see the contradiction or they're just, you know, probably just brainwashed or into it. So and there are brain, true brainwashing techniques in the theology world, sadly. But anyway, um, so and then he also says that sin binds you and, and you cannot choose. Otherwise, I do want to make sure I mention this too. Uh, hold on. Sorry. He literally tells Cain that sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. But if what he says is true, that you cannot choose between heaven and hell, and everything he says is true, what God says, uh, you cannot choose these things, then God is lying, right? That God becomes a deity of deception, as Dr. Tim Stratton talks about. Because he's saying that, hey, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. But <laughs> you can't, and I'm not going to give you the ability to do so. I could, I just won't. I'm just going to condemn you for it afterwards, which is, again, is what causes the problem. So uh, sin binds you and you cannot choose. All right. So anyway, now uh, we talked about the category shift and he says that you're not free to choose to go to heaven or hell. And then people wonder why a, there's this knee-jerk reaction against Calvinism. So it's like, it's either you're a Calvinist and you're like gung-ho for it. Or like once people find out about Calvinism, they're like almost aghast at what it teaches. But it's because the Bible speaks continually with the idea of being able to choose as a presupposition, right? For example, in Deuteronomy 30, chapter 9, uh, Deuteronomy 30, chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set forth before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. 
Well, according to Mark Driscoll, God must be lying because you can't choose life under the system. You can't choose to go to heaven. You can't choose to go to hell. And of course, they think that is, and the reason why they say that free will is a, de is a demonic deception or he thinks this is because they think that you being able to choose is somehow robbing God of his power. So they think that if I have a choice, then I'm robbing God of his choice, which is, of course, a false dichotomy as well, because what if God's choice was to create a world with true freedom, with true, truly free creatures who can make various choices amongst a range of options? If he chose to do that, then I am not stealing from God's power to make my own choices. In fact, I am living within his creation and within his will. So, and also what is more powerful? That's, that, that's another fun question. What's, what's more powerful? A God who has to determine everything and rig the entire game of chess to make out the favor where he gets checkmate at the end? Or God who is able to take the risk of giving mankind freedom and still see his will come to fruition? Which one do you think is more powerful? Just, just a thought exercise there. Thought I'd, thought I'd, Put that out there for you all. Um, Warren McGrew with Idol Killer says, they think the same thing about sin. If man is free to sin apart from God's decree, they think that this robs him of uh, power and glory, and that is exactly it. So uh, once you understand that this, these are the trip-ups, you start realizing where a lot of the problems can stem from. But also, of course, the very popular verse that everyone brings up uh, when it comes to choosing is... Joshua 24, 15, right? Uh, as he says, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in those lands you dwell. But for as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. John 7, 17 also says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. But according to Driscoll, you cannot choose. And now I know there people are going to be like, Will, you need to break down their view and exegete their view of the scripture there um, in order to have a robust response. And I'm just saying, like, I'm just using Occam's razor here, folks. If I have to do 14 steps in metaphysics to get how um, where it says anyone who chooses to do the will of God, well, to choose to do the will of God isn't really choosing in the sense that in the libertarian sense is that God has to give you the gift, give you have grace you with the gift of faith that regenerates you in order to allow you to have a new nature so that you might be able to choose. And therefore, it really is those who choose the will, uh, the will of God who will find out whether his teaching comes from God. Or If you have to do that many steps to get to such a simple statement, you're kind of missing it. Plus, the idea of like Calvinistic theology didn't even exist during this time with Christ. So, um, yeah, that and that's pretty, that's pretty well tested too. Like, Augustine's the one who started with a lot of this stuff. So um, that's, you know, way later. That's in the 480s. Christ was crucified around 8030 for time reference. Okay. So God just continues to call people to repent as well, right? In the Bible, he continually calls them to repent. But on this system, he's cruel and tells the crippled kid again in the wheelchair that if he can't walk, he's going to drown him in the pool. Because he tells them to repent when he knows that they can't, and he could help them, but he just doesn't. You see the issue here? Like, then you, again, this this is, uh, this is really where it just comes down to. <laughs> Sorry, Warren says, uh, in quotes, has God really said with a little snake emoji? Uh, because that's what people will say. Like, once that you, it's amazing to me how many people do this uh, whenever you start disagreeing with their theology. 
and they end up just being like, oh, you're like the serpent in the garden. Hath God really said? Like, dude, we're all talking about theology. Can can we stop with like the posturing nonsense? Um, so <laughs> Brian says, Calvinists, <clears throat> Calvinism is the Bible, right? Calvinism is the gospel. That's what you'll hear. Uh, all right, so we're going to move forward. Uh, so um, so anyway, on Calvinism, God can save everyone by gracing them with the gift of faith. He just simply chooses not to. He shows partiality and desires to go to hell. Now, I was recently told by, um, I was recently told by, uh, actually, Israel Truhillo. He just recently got married, so congrats to him. But he, re he told me uh, that he doesn't find my critiques of Calvinism even decent. Uh, and that's fine. I, uh, he's a Calvinist. He's able to say that. I mean, I don't expect you in a flyby comment on Facebook to get changed. But this is one thing I haven't heard anyone actually still be able to address with me. So if God, and hear me out here, if God chooses from eternity past whom will be saved and whom will not be saved, I don't care what metaphysical web you have to get around this fact, the reality is A squared plus B squared equals C squared. So if he, before the foundations of the earth, chose who will be saved and who will not be saved, then, and you truly take the part in Romans 9 where it says, Esau, I have hated, Jacob, I have loved, um, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, that whole thing, if you take that as meaning every specific individual who's ever born unto salvation, then you cannot explain to me how that's not showing partiality because that is actually the definition of partiality, right? Before any one of you were born, I chose to hate one and love the other. That is partiality. If I, my wife, uh, my daughter's about to turn three. If my wife gets pregnant anytime soon and has another child, and before that child's born, I choose, I'm not going to love you as much as I love Eliana. I'm going to choose to hate you and not buy you proper clothes. And one day I'm going to cast you into prison and frame you for a terrible crime or something, Either, whatever. If I choose to hate one and be abusive toward one and love the other before they're born, you would look at me as a dad and go, that's messed up, that's immoral, you're showing partiality and favoritism, and you need to repent, and you'd be right to do so. But again, once God does it, we say that, oh, somehow it's not showing partiality. You see the issue here. So um, again, Romans chapter 9 is not talking about that. So um, anyway, so equivocation on sovereignty is the next point. Let's talk about, let's, let's look at this for a minute. Your choices are within a menu of options that are limited by the sovereign God. You're not sovereign. He is. And he gives us a limited menu of options. So I can't choose to be tall. Now I've tried. I've tried to predestine myself to height and bangs. And you're laughing because... I've proven my inability to predestine my hide and banks. My will is not totally free. Now you see the false equivocation again. And this is where like the mudslinging always starts. Once you start falsely equivocating like, oh, physical attributes and the unchangeable characteristics of your personhood to whether or not I can make a truly free decision between a range of options of better or worse responses, or at least pick A or over than C. Uh, like, once you start doing this, yeah, of course, no one, again, no free will theist is saying that, hey, you could choose to be taller. No one says that. No one says that you can choose to have bangs. 
Um, so <laughs> it's just it's just ridiculous. And it's unfair for I know for a lot of people who want to choose to have bangs. Sorry, not all of you can have as nice hair as me. So uh, looking at you, Jordan, in the comments. All right. Um, so, but now notice this with his equivocation on sovereignty. This happens every time, and I know I am not the first person to point this out, but in the sovereign discussion, God gives us a limited number of options. He says, um, but these options are just what they are. God gives them to you. You're just stuck with them. But the equivocation of sovereign, they mean that sovereign means that God has to determine all things. If he doesn't determine all things, he's no longer sovereign. Sovereign, first off, you'll be hard-pressed to find that word in scripture, but if we want to... Uh, extrapolate this concept of sovereign. Sovereign simply means like king or ruler. And we definitely see that in scripture. So yeah, we can extrapolate extrapolate this idea of sovereignty of God being the king of all things. I'm here for that. That's perfectly fine. However, that is not um, what this is getting at at all. So um, no one is saying free will means you can change immutable characteristics unless it's gender. <laughs> Brian, Brian, why are you the way that you are? All right. Um, sorry, live streams are a little bit more chaotic, but they are fun because I get snarky remarks like that. Uh, all right. But according to Driscoll, God gives us a limited number of options. It's just that repenting and believing isn't one of them. Meanwhile, he just calls you to do it as like some sort of sick joke and makes it your fault. So he gives you a limited range of options. And the one thing he is asking you to do, which is repent and believe, is the one thing that is not an option for you to choose. He has to choose it for you. And then he goes, and Mark says, I've proven my inability to grow. Again, do you see the false equivocation? All right. Suppressing the truth doesn't mean we can't know. All right. Because he talks about that, right? He was like, well, it says, the Bible says we suppress the truth. Suppressing the truth doesn't mean that we can't know. John also talks about how the light reveals the darkness. For example, have you ever been talking to somebody who is doing something wrong and you know that they're doing something wrong and they know really that they're doing something wrong, but they're suppressing the truth and you know that they could choose to stop suppressing the truth. I know people like that. You probably know people like that too. And if that's the case, then you know that suppressing the truth does not necessarily mean that you're uh, not free to do so. Just like Satan blinding the eyes of mankind or of this world doesn't mean that mankind doesn't have free will. Have you ever known someone who was deceived by another person and you knew that and you were trying to convince that person that they were being deceived? I had a family member that was in a rough situation once, and I was trying to tell this individual that she was deceived. And I was like, no, this person has deceived you. Nope, nope, no, they haven't. You're just mean and a bully. Okay, and then it turned out that I was right, but this person chose to reject wise counsel. So this idea of blinding or suppressing does not negate this ability of what we would say free will or this ability to choose, okay? So... With that said, God gives us a limited number of options, uh, but again, repenting believing is just not one of them as some sort of sick joke. It's the one thing he requires of us, and it's the one thing we get we don't get to choose. <sighs> anyway, so um, he says, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, you won't know God, you can't know God without a miracle from God, okay? Let's listen to that real fast. It's limited and bound by the choices that God makes available to me. Number five, when we do choose, we choose sin and death. He already told us in Romans 1, we, we get the truth, we suppress the truth. 
He told That's what I was talking about in Romans 1. The suppressing of the truth doesn't get rid of that. I got ahead of my notes, but anyway. Tells us that we have futile thinking, that we are fools and we have a debased mind. What he's saying is, apart from a miracle of the Holy Spirit, you don't know God and you can't know God. That's exactly what he's saying. Is that what he's saying? Is it? I, I mean, I've read Romans 1. It doesn't say that I don't have free will. And it doesn't say that apart from the Holy Spirit regenerating me, that I can't know him. It just condemns, like, it just shows how, like, sinful man can be. It doesn't say that. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, again, the, the, it's just, it, this gets us sillier and sillier, but, um, actually let's just move on and we'll just get to the end of this and I'll, I'll address the rest. Okay. Let's get to this. Your will is not free. And I have people all the time ask me, well, what part do you play in your salvation? Oh, I played a part. I did the sinning. That was my contribution. He did the saving. See how this works? I did my part. I did the sinning. He did his part. He did the saving. All right. Okay. Now let's talk about, let's unpack that now. Okay, cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, nobody disagrees that God does the saving and we do the sinning. Uh, the question is, is that, is it like some sort of weird superpower for me to realize I'm a sinner and surrender my sin, my sin and death to God for his restoration and cleansing? Cause that's really what I, I what we're trying to say is like, he, they believe that because it's a moral good, morally good thing to choose God, that mankind, because we're so sinful, is incapable of doing so, that we are so immorally corrupt. He says, when we choose, we choose sin and death. But that is false in compared to reality, because I know unbelievers who do wonderful acts of charity and love toward other people. Does this mean that they are saved and going to heaven? Not necessarily, but it does show that we don't just choose sin and death. We do choose sin and death, but we also choose good, morally good things. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that we can't do morally good actions. It just says that those morally good actions don't like can't save us, right? They won't merit us salvation. They don't earn me salvation. Um, and that God had to save us. And so we choose sin and death. And so we surrender our sin and death to God for purification and purging so that we might be restored and healed. That's the point here. That's and when you have that mentality, you actually, a lot of the texts make a lot more sense. So, uh, as opposed to this weird Western idea of like post and pre regeneration and stuff along that nature. So anyway, Driscoll says, if you can't choose to be anything other than you are, you basically, uh, you don't have free will. So, which is ridiculous. Of course, I can't choose to be anything but a six foot tall white guy with blue eyes. Okay. I Driscoll's making an absurd statement here. Also Driscoll says that God is the only one who has free will, but can God now here's, he says that here in a second, actually, before I get into that, hold on, let's just listen to it. This is a great historical debate in 1524 Erasmus of Rotterdam, a humanist scholar. He wrote a book called the freedom of the will. The next year, Martin Luther, one of my favorites, a Protestant Bible teacher. <laughs> Joke, real quick, ironic. I'm not surprised that Martin Luther would be Driscoll's favorite based on what Luther has said about women and other people. Uh, Luther, I don't have a high view of Luther, fun fact for you. Uh, <laughs> I'm appreciative of what he did in the Reformation, but 
Only to a degree, at a very small degree. Wrote another book called The Bondage of the Will. I read that as a freshman or sophomore in college. And in there, Luther's working through Romans to show that we don't have free will. Let me say this. This will blow your mind. Only God has free will. Guys, only God has free will. We're going to... Is your mind blown? Is your mind blown? Because remember, free will to the Calvinists is a superpower. It's the thing that makes you all powerful is free will. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, I'm being hyperbolic, but all right. Let's just get to the end of this, and then I'm going to unpack what Driscoll just said and show that he can't even hold up to his own examples. God has all knowledge. We don't. God has all power. We don't. God can do anything he wants. We can't. And no one can thwart the will of God. So when it comes to salvation, someone did make a free will choice, and it was God, not you or me. Uh, yeah. All right, now I'll give you <laughs> one life next gen. Chris, is that you? I feel like Chris is in the is in the chat now. Uh, Chris is the the next gen director here at the church with me. Um, anyway, so let me unpack why that this statement by Driscoll doesn't actually make any sense whatsoever. Because remember, Driscoll says you cannot have free will because you cannot choose to be anything other than you are. He cannot choose to be tall. He cannot choose to have bangs. I cannot choose to be anything but a six foot white man with blue eyes. Um, we cannot choose anything other than we are. But God, he's got truly, he truly has free will. Now here's my question then for Driscoll. Can God be anything other than what he is? If your answer is, well, no, he has to be God, then even according to your theology, God does not have free will. Can God be anything other than he is? Can God become a liar? Because he is the truth. Can God become a liar? Well, if he can't, then he doesn't have free will. Can God stop being holy? Well, if he can't, I guess he doesn't have free will. According to this logic, God is not free either. So, in this logic, God is not free because God cannot be, if God cannot choose to be anything other than he is, and we cannot choose to be anything other than we are, then none of us are actually truly free, which is why it's a category error, which is why it's a false equivocation because nobody is saying that you can change your nature. No one is saying that you can't change who you are as far as your, what you're born with or where you were born or when you were born or any other part of your unalterable traits. What we're saying is that you can choose amongst a range of options for better or worse responses or to choose A instead of B, okay? That's what we're saying. And God can choose A instead of B too. He could have chosen to not uh, create, right? He could have chosen, but he's free and he wanted to have free relationships and he created us with free relationships. So Again, the problem with conflating these categories and making free will akin to something of a superpower is plenty. I'm sure you can see that. There's, there's a lot of problems with this equivocation, this sort of theology. Um, and Kyle Hart says, reading Luther's prefaces to the books of his, of his Bible translation should knock Luther down a peg. <laughs> You're not wrong, Kyle. It's been a while since I've read those because uh, I, um, I did a lot of those readings when I was uh, doing like unpacking King James onlyism because I was raised that way. And then I did a series on it. So I did a lot of reading on the reformers, what they said. And uh, you're not wrong. Uh, that should definitely knock him down a peg. And as Brian pointed out, the Bible says God cannot lie. So according to Driscoll, because if we can't be anything other than we are, then 
God is not free. See the problem? So anyway, this is why reformed views of free will doesn't make any sense. And what's even funnier, really, is uh, if we stop sharing that screen, I present to you this real quick. Um, hold on. All right, we're going to pull this up. All right, because then we have this, uh, I'm sure an unbeliever, um, Stanford scientist, after decades of study, concludes that we don't have free will. Now, I want us to make mention of this real fast, because uh, the thing is that what Christianity has uh, as a leg up over most any other belief system that's popular, like in the West, like atheism, is this ability to choose. Uh, the, Dr. Sam Harris, a very one of the four horsemen of the atheist apocalypse, he wrote a book on the illusion of the will. Then you have Luther who wrote the bondage of the will, right? And so you have one group of Christians saying we have no free will, and atheists all pretty well admit, without exception, that we do not have free will and cannot have free will if God does not exist because we are just a product of nature. So whatever we are, whatever we are born with, is just the end result of action and reaction. Therefore, all your thoughts and everything are pre-programmed, or as Frank Turek uh, likes to colloquially call it a meat robot, but essentially that you have all external factors are what made you, you. It's your nature versus nurture. You don't truly have free will. So uh, the one of the best parts about Christianity is that you can actually say we do have free will and we are we are individual souls and we have freedom. And so when you consider that, it's, that's actually powerful because I we have a lived experience of making choices every day. I chose to come into the church this morning. I chose to go to different meetings. Uh, I am choosing to record this video right now. You understand that there are choices being made. Um, so that is something that is a very powerful, powerful thing. Um, and so um, then what we have here, so Stanford scientists, after decades of study, concludes that we don't have free will. Um, and I want to just kind of hone in on this part real quick. And this is, and I want you to understand that this guy at least understands the cost of rejecting free will. If you don't have free will, this guy at least gets it. He's at least honest enough to get it. Although there is irony in saying that after years of study, you concluded that you don't have free will. It's almost like you freely came to that decision <laughs> with your ability to do, to understand and study and make rational decisions or irrational decisions, depending, you know what I mean? Anyway, all right, so he says this. This means accepting that a man who shoots into a crowd has no more control over his fate than the victims who happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It means treating drunk drivers who barrel into pedestrians just like drivers who suffer a sudden heart attack and veer out of their lane. Quote, the, the world is really screwed up and made much, much, much un, more unfair by the fact that we reward people and punish people for things they have no control over. Sapolsky said, we've got no free will. Stop attributing stuff to us that isn't there. That is quite the admittance. Um... So he says it right here, why do we throw people in jail if they could not do otherwise? Why do we punish people for rape, murder, any other for embezzlement, why abuse? Why are people punished for this if why, why, they, they can't help it? Why are we punishing people? And what's funny too is that this is like a call of moral outrage, right? So it's like you're having moral outrage saying that we should not do those things, almost like we can choose to not do those things.
And this is why, like, as soon as somebody starts debating me that free will doesn't exist, I always say that they, at the moment they've engaged a debate with me about the existence of free will, you've already surrendered the debate because you've already accepted my premise that I can freely choose to not believe in free will. So you already cho- you already jumped into my side of the aisle as soon as you start arguing that I can't have true freedom. And um, as Jordan says here, no one, he, because Driscoll said that no one can thwart God's will. So Jordan says, no one can thwart God's will. Then when I sin, I am doing the will of God. Thus, it is a sin to do the will of God. So stop doing the will of God. (laughs) That should show the incoherence. Because the Bible makes very clear that we sin, and when we sin, it is not the will of God. So um, anyway. There, uh, so that that's that. Um, uh, he was predestined to do the study of the universe that appeared out of nowhere and decided millions of years ago he would do this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now, now we're getting on, now, we're, now we're cooking with gas. So, um, Jake Tolly says, I think I'm saying your name right, um, says, I work, um, uh, I says until a prison, I think it's meant in a prison. I work in a prison and one of my coworkers is a, is, what's that? And one of my coworkers, sorry, this is like, it's cutting off on my, on my end for some reason. All right. So hold on. Um, and one of my coworkers is a Dan of Harris, is a fan of Harris, and argued with me against free will. I asked him why he was okay imprisoning people who had no control over their actions, and he did not give an answer. Of course he didn't, because that shows the problem. So I hope you guys can see, like, so Driscoll um, has a lot, there's a lot of problems and controversies surrounding Driscoll. I think we all know that. And uh, maybe just another reason not to be a Calvinist is because Driscoll's one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's bandwagon fallacy that, right? Let's and then be like, oh, yep, genetic fallacy. You're one. I can't be. But there is a there is actually a lived reality here because when you think about it, let's say the accusations of everything he says is true, of what people have said about him is true that he's like this narcissistic guy that he's uh, very abusive and controlling and all that. Well, it makes sense on his theology why he would be because there is no real responsibility. There's no way he can do otherwise. So why? I'm just saying, if there's no free will, then why why not be a narcissistic, self-serving jerk, right? Because I can't do otherwise. I might as well just be as self-serving as possible. Which is again another reason why a lot of atheists are that way because they believe it better explains a lot of the things that we see as far as like what they would say like Darwinian like evolutionary theory. So um, anyhow, uh, you're good, Jake. <laughs> He's like darn fat fingers because he had a couple typos in there for those of you who are listening on audio only. So and uh, yes, and the bandwagon fallacy does require free will. So anyway, hope this was helpful. What do you guys think of this whole thing with Driscoll? Uh, go ahead and start throwing some questions or comments in there if you want real quick, and I'll give some closing thoughts and then uh, we will close up shop. But really, um, this is why people don't understand why I have sometimes why I push so hard against Calvinism regularly on the program. And anyone who knows my story knows that like I was raised in a, like a really hard home. Like there's a lot of abuse that took place within the doors of my home. And when you start, when you actually see evil face to face and you actually like live this stuff and experience this stuff. And then someone tells you no one has free will, that all this was determined by God. It really does. It puts a really bad taste in your mouth because you know what you saw was sin, death, and Satan when that abuse was taking place. And that, and God was as far away from it as possible. There's no way that God would com- uh, command it. So, um, 
And uh, and also, I push hard against it because it's Gnostic. You are correct. And that was one of the earliest heresies, and it's still... Uh, wait, what? Anyway, there is there are... I definitely think that there is... Um, it is a very slippery slope once you start denying uh, free will of man, and that you are going against a lot of orthodox teaching of the early church. So be very careful on what you believe and what you hold to. And uh, what are your thoughts on Driscoll's statements? Let me know in the comments below. Um... Oh, wait, what is Calvinism just a branch of Jehovah's Witness because only a certain amount are predestined to get to heaven? Oh, my goodness. Actually, Chris, that's a great question. If that's you, Chris, you never confirmed, I don't think, but I think that's Chris. Actually, this is really funny because I uh, worked actually with Jehovah's Witness uh, recently, and he actually was explaining how, like, basically how most everyone who's going to be saved will be on earth, but there's going to be like a special heaven. And if you're one of those, then you take communion, essentially, and then that's the one that chooses you to be saved up here. Um, oh, okay. You did clarify. Sorry, Chris. But, and I actually, it was funny because I was putting that together too when he was talking to me about it. I'm like, this is this Calvinism. Like there is so much, and it was actually really funny is that the Jehovah's Witnesses actually have a lot of similarities as far as like the way they do church protocol, like with control and the authoritarianism and unquestionable nonsense that exists there. Uh, the way they like, uh, how they will treat people that they differ with. A lot of similarities to the independent fundamental Baptist, but then a lot of their views of choosing and all that is like very Calvinistic. So it's very interesting. So, uh, and it just goes to show that Protestant theology really did branch and branch and branch and branch. And there's all these influences and, and people don't always see the contradictions within their own theologies. And that, that comes uh, to be a big problem. So, um, <laughs> Brian, I don't, that joke may go over some people's head, but that was really funny. That means Calvinism is also a great disappointment. If you guys know the history of Jehovah's Witnesses, that right there is hilarious. So, um, and Mandy, you're very welcome. She says, thanks for this. Will got here late, but we'll catch the replay later today. Great topic. Yep, you're welcome. Um, so real quick, before I close up, join us again tonight. I know it's a lot of church split in one day. We're like breaking all the YouTube rules today, but I wanted to get a solo episode out before we did our combined ones because Brian's already done two of them. I go watch them, by the way. Give Brian some love. The last one, Brian and I were joking around, was a flop because apparently nobody cares about Kerry Washington. But Brian's episode was like, he said some really good stuff in there. You need to go check it out. Uh, we're doing our live stream tonight, and we're going to be talking about the conflict in the Middle East. We'll be talking about holy war. Is it justified? Is it not justified? At what level uh, should this be stopped? Is this the end times? We'll just be having a fun conversation with it. We want all of you there to add, bring up your questions, bring in information that we might not know. And it's meant to be just a, a conversation, like facilitating a conversation regarding this stuff because it's a it's getting hectic out there and it's a complicated topic so anyway guys hope you're all doing well uh now you can look forward to seeing weekly videos from brian and myself and uh i'll probably do a lot of mine live stream because i'm lazy and don't want to edit so anyway guys uh hope this is helpful for all of you take care and god bless And guys, if you want to avoid seeing obnoxious ads like this, we gotta be strong, we gotta be healthy. When you wanna feel nice and strong and satisfied, you gotta check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Knowles. Or that. We also wanna thank Free Life Soap, because I don't know about y'all, yes. but I got a new shipment of soap yes, in. I did. Yes, I Yes, sir. And it was great. Or this. Hi guys, my name is Will, and I'm here to tell you why you should be a student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Or that. To get to that momentarily, first, I want to talk to you about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Are you aware that your browsing data is constantly being tracked and monitored? Please support us on Patreon. We do not want to annoy you filthy heretics 
with any sort of ads on this show. So when you're a Patreon subscriber, you also get access to our apologetics classes and other video content a whole month. You can support us on Patreon for as low as $1 a month.